Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Prepared for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me at LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, we've got a couple of topics that we're going to touch on, and one I'm really interested to to hear about is how we manage our resilience programs or business continuity programs when it's just us. And I want to welcome to the show someone who's in that position, Daniela Parker. Daniela, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Now, I know you and I have conversed before. And so I know a little bit about yourself, but could you take a minute and tell our global listeners and viewers uh, about yourself, what you do and how you got into what you do? Sure. So uh, I am currently the chief risk officer at Resource One Credit Union in Dallas, Texas. I've been in the credit union space for a little over 20 years in financial services. I checked this morning, it's going on 25 and uh, I have spent a lot of time uh, in the operational areas but about 10 years ago, decided I'm going to go the risk management route. And part of that was the business continuity piece that is probably hands down my favorite. But my uh, area that I cover is much broader than that. So right now I'm responsible for the enterprise risk management program of the credit union, operational risk management, have compliance, fraud. Um I have uh, operations under me as well, which is a little unique. And I have the collections team, business continuity vendor management. So I have a I have a very broad set of responsibilities and the actual operational risk management uh, piece is split between myself and I have one ERM coordinator. And um, so been with the credit union now for a year. So I'm new in this position. That was also a newly created chief risk officer position. They did not have that function prior to me coming there. Um, And at my previous credit union, I went through something similar where I started as a team of one, introducing risk management, business continuity, all those pieces. And after uh, eight years, we had grown that to a department of 22. And I'm hoping to be able to do the same uh, here. But to your point right now, it's myself overseeing a lot of uh, different areas. And then I have one um, coordinator role that's uh, assisting me on that. Well, welcome to the show. And boy, that's a lot of responsibilities. That's got to be a challenge. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Some days more than others. Yeah. <laughs> so let's jump straight into that. You know, how do you do all of that when it's just you? What what kind of things are out there that maybe we can leverage or uh, change our way of thinking? Or you know, how, how do you do it? Well, so first and foremost, I talk about what I do and why I do it and why it's of value any chance I get. 
right? In in meetings and conversations, in in anything I'm in or I have an opportunity to talk to people, I try to infuse the hey, we need to look at this from a continuity perspective, right? Like, have we talked about what happens if this vendor isn't around all of a sudden? Um, and again, depending on the situation, I have to infuse the continuity aspect, the vendor management piece, maybe risk management. So I try to always, I try to always bring it up and, and outline, like, here is how this discipline will help you make better decisions, avoid disruptions, gather opportunities, all these pieces. So any chance I get, I once saw a quote that said, risk manager is really not an appropriate title because we don't manage the risk, we talk about it. And I do a lot of that. I all constantly talk about this is what it really is. If people have a, a, a wrong perception of what business continuity is all about, you know, when I, when I came in, it was like, well, we did a fire drill last year. <laughs> and I said, well, let me talk to you a little bit about what business continuity is. Um, so I do a lot of that, uh, just really taking any opportunity to to bring it to the forefront and educate, right? Having people understand this is what it is, this is what it's not. Um, the other thing I like to do is I don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time. I really look for resources that are readily available. So September is National Preparedness Month. Ready.gov has a ton of resources. They have um, social media uh all built out. There are flyers. It's pretty easy to, to spend a couple of hours and build some emails and schedule them to go out to the organization and, and at least create some awareness of, of what preparedness is about, what we can do as individuals, how it plays into our roles as employees in an organization. So I try to use the resources that are available. Um, the state emergency management departments a lot of times have things going on. And so um, that saves me a lot of time because I don't have to create the content and it, it just makes it more efficient. And then again, using scheduled emails, you know, like planning that out ahead of time. Um, another are piece. Any, that, are there any internal tools that maybe you can leverage? Because so, ready.gov and some of the other ones you mentioned were all, uh, I'm assuming, external. Yes, so they're are external. Things internal that you can leverage? We have a uh, like a learning management system. Sometimes there are classes in there. I can create content. So for example, I had to roll out a change to the vendor management process. So rather than telling people to read the procedure, which nobody ever does, I made like a 15 minute video, put it in the learning management system and then assigned it out and said, take 15 minutes of your time. I'm gonna talk to you about the why behind what we do and then quickly walk you through. So uh, using your learning management system is one, one tool. And a lot of times, again, they have content that you can um, get without you having to spend a lot of time on it. So to your point, right, like really figuring out where the resources are because you don't have the resources. So looking to see what you can, um, what you can use there. Absolutely. Great. Now, uh, the other thing I wanted to uh, mention is you, you talked about um, how do you you know, with all these different groups and responsibilities you have, mm -hmm. and always bringing up uh, the topic of risk or continuity, et cetera. How do you go about even having the opportunities to talk about those things? Do you reach out to groups? Do you just barge in on meetings? You how do you, how do you do that? 
So uh, I get pulled into a lot of meetings and primarily because I have the compliance piece under me as we, uh, as well, regulatory compliance. Mm-hmm. So as a financial institution, the compliance aspect is much better understood than maybe the risk management piece or business continuity. So a lot of times I automatically get invited to the meetings because I represent compliance. And then, so that's one way to get in there. And then I do invite myself sometimes to staff meetings. I just ask, like, do you have a meeting coming up? Um, I just invited myself to a meeting that the um, the retail leadership team had to talk a little bit about cognitive bias and how it impacts our decision making and, and how that plays in with risk management. And so, yeah, I ask, do you have a meeting coming up? Can I get 15, 30 minutes on your agenda? Here's why. Here's what I would like to talk about. And again, a lot of times I have the content already built, right? I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I have some PowerPoints that I can use that I know are going to work. And then I just reuse it. And I I ask, I will ask, can I have time? Can I talk to your team? Can we do this? And so most of the time I, I, I get a yes. People generally want to learn. A lot of times they just don't think about it. How do you go about dealing with the no? Like, that's the obvious question to ask after that. <laughs> then I say, okay, you know, maybe some other time. And uh, I ask why, like, is there just not enough time? Are there other priorities, right? And if there are a lot of times, that's really what it boils down to. It's hard when we hear no, right? But that's nothing personal. It's just there's so much going on. And I think as resilience professionals, we experience that all the time anyways, because everything else is more important until something bad happens then it's like, hey, where's the resilience folks, right? So um, a lot of times it's just the priorities, competing priorities, and then saying, okay, you know, if if there's no time this time, maybe next month or at your next meeting, can I have 15 minutes or can I provide other resources, right? Back to, I'll just make a video or I'll just send an email to the team, those, those kinds of activities. It's just getting creative with, how you insert yourself and how you provide the information without seeming overly pushy, I guess. I'm not a used car salesman, even though sometimes I feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> the creativity part, that's that's interesting. You know, uh, are there, uh, well, you already mentioned video. So are there other mm-hmm. ways of just kind of casually getting the resilience message across? Uh, so, for example, on, on the cyber side, right, because there's all these interactions and, and having to oversee all these different areas. I know we um, October is a cybersecurity month. And so uh, what we did one year is address the concept of piggybacking into a building. Right? Like if there's a secure building and people piggyback in, we did a little treasure hunt where we hid. And this was pre-pandemic. Obviously, everybody was in the office where we hid little um, little pigs, little figurines all throughout the building. And then we emailed out a wanted poster, basically said, you know, there's four intruders that piggyback their way into the building and whoever finds the piggies and brings them to someone's desk gets a prize. So just really thinking outside the box with, um, with what we're doing because people will never forget the piggyback thing, right? Because they they just tie it to that. But if you send out a a email that says, don't let people in the building with you, they're going to forget that if they even read it. So, um, so definitely thinking outside the box. And I'm always shocked how creative risk management people can get when you let them, right? Like asking the team to say, 
what ideas do we have? Um, and, you know, what can we come up with that's creative and engaging uh, and, and just makes this a little more fun because that will stick. The read this procedure will never stick. Well, that's interesting that you just mentioned that word fun. Disasters and business mm -hmm. continuity is never seen as something fun. No. So is that, would you consider that kind of a, a, a creative way to get people really on board and understand what continuity and resilience is? Yeah, I mean, I, I use it in the tabletops as well, right? I recently did a tabletop on um, a ransomware and I added little trivia slides in between with some statistics just to say, what would you say is the average cost of a data breach, right? Like just, I had slides all the way throughout the tabletop and then I had little gift cards and whoever got the answer got the gift card. I had like a group of, I want to say 25 people and it was just, it was engaging, right? People were engaging. And again, what I'm after is that my information actually sticks with them, that they don't walk out and they're like, well, here's another two hours of my life I'm never going to get back. I want them to walk out and say, I never realized that this is how expensive it could actually get, right? Or I never realized that this is how many phishing attempts happen in a day. And so that's where, that again, if it's engaging, if it gets people to think, if it gets people to laugh, like if you're engaging folks in a positive way to prepare for something negative, that doesn't mean that you're downplaying the impact, but it means that you're really trying to make this memorable for them so that when something does happen, they will remember, right? Like, hey, yeah. we did do this. Do an evacuation drill and have an ice cream truck outside, right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it sticks with people. And it. The other thing is you get less and less pushback when you're asking to be part of an of a meeting because they know you're not coming to the table with, I'm going to tell you all the bad things that are going to happen. You're coming to the table to say, I'm going to make this engaging. Your people are going to get value, right? Nobody wants to waste their time and it's going to stick with your people. So we're always talking about employee engagement. I think from a resilience perspective, we we should do that as well. Employees need to be engaged. But that's got to be tough, though, because even in right now, I, I'm trying to inject some of that fun into business continuity and disaster recovery, uh, mm -hmm. you know, some of the work I'm doing with a client. And it's just not <laughs> considered, know. you know, you, the, what are you doing? Like, it's blasphemous almost. You know, how yeah. dare you think think this is this is fun? This is a serious topic. Yeah, yeah it is. It's very, it, it can be serious and very dry, but, you know, and you explained it great. You know, it, if we don't make it fun, though, it's not going to stick. It's not, right? So one way to overcome that, too, is at my previous um, credit union, we had a business called planning team, right? The, the boots on the ground, they would be called upon during an incident. But in addition to just being called upon during an incident, I would pull them together and say, what can we do? I need ideas, right? It doesn't always have to be me that comes up with the ideas. You can engage the rest of the organization and say, what are what are some of the ways that you engage your team? What are some of the ideas that you have? What have you found that works with your team? And then again, like you don't have to always do that all by yourself. Even though like I oversee that area, that doesn't mean that I'm always 
the one with the ideas. I mean, I run out of ideas sometimes too. And so engaging the organization, again, that that committee or that team allowed me to also have a group of ambassadors because after a while of going through like, what is business continuity? What are we doing? What's the value? Why is this making things better? They got excited about it. Maybe not as much as I am, but they were excited. And you had like a group of ambassadors throughout the organization. And then people automatically, when they see something that is continuity related, then they say, hey, have you talked to the continuity folks about this? Right. Like Mm. it takes time. But at the end of the day, you just have to find the folks in the organization that actually enjoy this. Because we all know not everybody enjoys what we do. I get that. But there are people that, you know, maybe in their free time, they do search and rescue. Right. Like they're into these kinds of activities. Find them like recruit them, make them your ambassadors. It doesn't take, again, it doesn't take much time. And now with the hybrid and remote setup, we have so many more tools where you don't necessarily have to have a meeting, right? You can have a Zoom call. You can you can use whatever communication tool you use, Slack or Teams or whatever to communicate. And so I, I again, not everything is on me. And back to everybody in the organization owns risk, right? It's not just me. I just make sure we pay attention to it. And it's the same with resilience. It's everybody's responsibility, even though I'm the one that has to make sure that we do it. And so I would say you engage, again, back to engagement. Is there a difference between making it fun and engaging uh, executive or leadership members versus uh, people who aren't in those positions? Yes. Yes, there is a difference. And I think part of it is because of role clarity. So I I remember starting um, when we started rolling out the business continuity program at my previous credit union, the executives were part of the actual team. So when there was an incident, everybody would pile into a room, including all the executives and the operational folks. And then everybody would argue about what to do, right? (laughs) The executives, a lot of times, cause a lot more harm than anything else because (laughs) they're not the operational (laughs) folks, right? They are not the operational folks of the organization. But in that moment, they feel like they have to, even though the operational folks have it under control. So what's important to understand is that the activities for the executive level really need to be targeting their, their, they're called upon in a crisis, they have to make the big decisions and they probably have to communicate. And we all know how that goes, right? Like if communication isn't figured out, then it's a disaster. So one thing I did with the executive team one time uh, was that I did a PR type exercise where I had put together the communication plan. We had pre-cant messages and everything. I had sent out the communication and said, it is saved here if you ever need to access it. Um, it was, you know, in in a in a tool that we use off network. And then about a month later, I brought in a consultant to go through scenarios with us. And then we all had to come up with messages. Now I went and pulled the communication plan and pulled the pre-cant messages, and that was my response. Nobody remembered even seeing that email. They all spend so much time and arguing about what are we going to say, what are we going to say? And then the consultant finally pulled everybody back together and said, well, you know, did any of you go look at your plan? Because they were the ones that helped me with the the pre-camp messages. 
And everybody said, oh, yeah, there was a plan, right? So really focusing your activity with the executives on what their actual roles are. And I did I did have to kick out executives of some of the meetings. I said, you know, with all due respect, really? because it's just it causes so much chaos when because nobody wants to speak up. Right. So you, you have people that are like, well, they're an executive, so I'm going to be quiet, even though they know better. <laughs> they're the operational hands on folks. Um, but yeah, sometimes it just, it's just not beneficial. And I mean, at that point in time, I was a peer, right? So it, it's a little different if it's coming from a peer. I think it would be more challenging if I wasn't. But again, recognizing that they have a specific role and then targeting that role rather than, you know, trying to mix them in with, with everything. Right. So we, believe it or not, we only have four minutes left. So. <laughs> Do you have uh, final thoughts or comments or messages you'd like to convey regarding, you know, being a team of one and how we get this done? My message is always, you know, just get creative and think outside the box. Because again, there are a lot of resources out there. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then the other piece is you have to set realistic expectations for yourself. You're not going to stand this up in six months, probably not even a year. It will take a lot of time. And that's, a decision that the organization has to make, right? Do we prioritize this or do we accept that it's going to take a little bit longer? Um, but you have to be realistic and and you just get creative and, and have some fun doing it. That's really always my message. Yeah, it, it's. I, I think the you, you touched on a key point there that time mm-hmm. uh, often uh, when when executives or anyone thinks of time, it's quick, quick, quick now. You know, we need it now or next right. week. And it, it's, you know, the, some of the things that you talked about, it's kind of a mindset change. And that does take time. Yes. It's a big ship, right? That you want to turn around. And it does take time. It's like the project piece. It's either scope, schedule, or budget. Mm-hmm. And that's a decision that the organization then makes. But you have to communicate that and be realistic about it. Yeah. And any any advice for some of those uh, people that maybe you're sitting out there right now going on a team of one and they're pulling out their hair, you know, of where maybe uh, a couple of tips to just quickly uh, give them, you know, hope to, hey, just try these couple of things and, you know. Yeah. Find your ambassadors, right? Find the people in the organization that enjoy this topic. And then, you know, again, every chance you get, you talk about it and and you know, back to the whole get creative. That's really what I have to do and not just in the continuity space. I have to think outside the box and figure out how to get it done um, with limited resources. Yeah, and and, and maybe not so, because uh, um, uh, I've been a team of one to document uh, procedural heavy. Um, yes. Then it's just like, oh, you're, you're just a, you know, procedural, you know, machine who just pumps out all these different documents, you know, Yes, and that's a great point because that's how you lose people, right? When you start with the whole we need we I need your procedure or your plan. It's like, no, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We turn people off that way. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we definitely do. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Daniela. I really appreciate it. And I know we're gonna talk again and we're gonna talk about organizational culture and dealing with that and resilience in our next segment. So stay tuned. We'll be back with Daniela Parker.
Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one. Hosted by Frank Hellring, we'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Are you a business owner, 1099 contractor, part-time employee, or volunteer who needs group health coverage you can actually afford? Do you know a nonprofit who would benefit from unlimited zero-cost funding? How about cost reduction, school safety, mental health wellness, and more? All these and more are fair game on finding certainty. If you want more certainty in your own life, you are not alone. Join us each Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Find your own brand of certainty and realize your personal American dream with Finding Certainty, hosted by Patrick Lang. Let's unwrap the certainty experience together. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Daniela Parker. Daniela, we had a great first segment there talking about uh, a team of one and what things that we can do and what we can do to uh, you know help our positions. Now let's shift a little bit and talk about organizational culture or, and, you know, and the culture that we work within, how does that challenge and uh, how can we address that? Cause I know you provided some interesting points here as well. So, you know, how do we deal with those kind of situations? So I think uh, from the culture can a lot of times make or break your attempts to be successful with implementing like a resilience program, right? Really any of my areas, it can hinder it. Um, and so the first point I would make is that you have to understand and take time to figure out where the culture is at in your organization, especially if you're new or if you were just handed this project, right? Because sometimes that's how it works. There's maybe an audit finding that 
the continuity plan needs some attention and then you find someone who's going to do that as other duties as assigned and here you go figure it out so understanding the culture and taking time without judgment right like just look at what works what doesn't work what are some of the the statements that you hear in meetings right if you hear the it's always worked for us that's an indication that you may be in a culture that's a little more resistant to change um if you're in a culture that's constantly chasing the shiny objects um that's something that you need to understand and so just understanding the culture it's important that you find that executive sponsor that will help you implement a program when your culture may be a little more resistant to change and it has to be from the very top down the board has to be at least informed right your executive sponsor should be the one to say board here's what we're doing here's why we're doing it and your executive sponsor doesn't necessarily have to understand all the details that's kind of your job you have to make sure you provide them with the selling points and a lot of times that's what we do right we're like sales people like i said mm. sometimes i feel like i'm a used car salesman because i have to kind of sell the value that i bring to the table or that what i do brings to the table and and that's really the way to get some of the buy in in the organization but sponsorship i would say is like number 1 because if you don't have support from the top down you're not going to get any budget you're not going to get the the actual support that you need to be successful. And so I would say it's the sponsorship piece um first and foremost. Another piece I found successful is the integration into strategy. So again, people look at resilience as an operational component of the organization, but when we look at what some of the strategic risks are out there a lot of them are related to what we work on in the resilience space so if i had to look at large strategic risks right now so risks that can knock the strategic plan off the tracks we have cyber that's a big one right if an organization experiences a cyber event that will cost you a lot of money derail a lot of your projects probably and and that's where resilience then comes in and is a strategic risk mitigant um another one is climate change right really having foresight and saying how is the change in weather patterns how is this all going to impact us from the strategic level and then where does resilience come in it that's what i use a lot in the risk management space is understanding that risk management isn't about what we don't want to do or what we can't do it's about how we do it and we consider what could blindside us or we consider what the risks are that it brings to the table. And so I think that integrating into the strategic management piece of the organization. Again, if you're not at the executive level, your executive sponsor should be the one that says, "Let's bring you to the table because we do a lot of strategic planning, we don't do a lot of strategic risk management." And again, looking at some of the big strategic risks, they tie directly to what you're doing in the resilience space. but you have to connect the dots for the organization because a lot of times people don't even see the dots but that's one of the strengths that I think we have in the resilience space is because we have to see the organization as a whole and we kind of know how it all links up so bringing that to the table and really saying here's the strategic value that what I do brings most organizations are technology heavy again back to what happens if that vendor goes down right what could potentially happen how much money is it going to cost us 
And then is that money we can't spend on our strategies? I always found that once you link to strategy, people will start listening, especially on the executive level, because that's the world they live in, right? They're in the strategic realm of things. And so really trying to connect what you do to the overall achievement of strategic goals, to me, is a big one in, in working with the culture that you're in. So you're, you're kind of being uh, proactive rather than reactive because oh, yes. a lot of people see your know, business continuity and disaster recovery, emergency management, everything, all of that, even risk as yeah. you know, uh, responding to an event. But yes, they do. And it's not right. Yeah. So when I look at when, again, when I look at the strategic planning process, we build out all these strategies and we don't think about a, what could derail the strategies and B, what are some of the risks that the strategies bring to the organization? So if we have a technology-heavy strategy, there's a lot of risk that comes to the organization, right? Mm -hmm. If we all of a sudden have 20 extra vendors, the portfolio, everything increases, where's the resilience piece to that? Are we prepared to respond if there's a problem? And so proactively saying, here's what you need to consider with the strategy in order for you to be successful, right? Again, to your point, I know we have the plans and I know we we kind of are ready to react, but why not proactively reach out and say, I want you and your strategies to be successful and here's how I'm going to contribute. And here's how I'm going to make sure that you know what to consider. And, you know, especially budget, right? We have to probably plan for that and it probably might, it, it might cost some money. So let's do that now rather than when we have an incident and then we have no money. So that's that's a really big one for me is to bring that value to the table. I um, sometimes refer to my department as the decision-making support department because that's truly yeah. what we do, right? Like we help make these decisions and we help make the organization successful. But to your point, that's not how people perceive business continuity, disaster recovery, right? So Again, back to you have to talk about that. You have to ask for like, can I be part of this? How are we going to talk about strategic risk? And just ask that question when you're in a strategic planning session, have we thought about the strategic risk piece? And then sometimes it's, well, we're going to do that later. You're never going to do it. Let's do it now, right? Let's make it part of the whole conversation. I like what what you mentioned there because you said that in the notes, and I was going to ask you about it. Decision making support department approach. Yep. Yep. So changing the, uh, you know, I, I guess when you said that, I was thinking, okay, changing all these uh, documents and you know huge binders and all these procedures and things that that people don't have time to read when a real situation occurs. Yes. Yeah. But being able to be there to uh, as a support for everybody. Yeah. So the decision-making support happens a lot on the risk side, but again, also from a resilience perspective, people want to make good decisions, right? And we know that emotional decision-making is not the best way. We we get all that, but a lot of times people don't necessarily have the right perspective because they focus on their own area, right? We also deal with a bias when it comes to decision-making, that optimism bias that we often experience in the resilience space where people are like, this will never happen here, right? 
We have a tendency to underestimate how no, bad people never think get. like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you know they do. And so being part of the decision to say, actually, there is a likelihood. And then here's what the potential impact would be quantifying some of the impact, right? How much would it cost us if we had an incident like that? And if we had a disruptive incident, how much would that cost us? And that's where people sometimes fall short when they have to make decisions for their areas because that's not what they consider. They look at a ROI, right? But what about the other piece? What about if something doesn't work as intended? That will also cost you money and that's not always part of that decision. And so that's where, from a cultural perspective, getting people in the habit of saying, have I considered everything in my decision? And have I looked at some of the, what I think will never happen? And we all, we I hear that all the time. This will never happen here, you know, in yeah. tabletops especially. I can say, don't fight the scenario as many times as I want. <laughs> Always get that this is never gonna happen here. Well, it could, right? So let's talk about it and then let's outline what exactly would that look like. It's also sometimes I get the nickname Debbie Downer, but I try to overcome that with, let's also talk about some opportunities that come with that, right? There are opportunities that come with this. For example, for us as a credit union, what about member preparedness? What about the personal preparedness of our membership? If we can provide even just like a social media campaign that says, hey, September is National Preparedness Month, right? Here's some tips and tricks, like contributing to the community preparedness, especially in, in our space, we, um, we, we serve the underbanked, underserved, right? Those are marginalized um, communities that a lot of times we know in an emergency are the worst prepared. And that's where maybe we can do some good and really live into our mission and that's where, again, you have to connect the dots for people and say, I am so much more than your fire drill captain. <laughs> I bring so much more to the table. Um, and that's how you change culture, because then you're not looked at as the obstacle or a budget item that nobody wants to pay or a regulatory requirement. Right. Because that's the worst. That's where you're looking it's not one of the the challenges I think you know, especially an individual who is just has the title of business continuity analyst, and that's it. You know, they're, they're the the team of one, and the, and they've got a culture where, oh, here comes Alex. You know, yeah. he always brings bad news. You know, we our sales are great, our you know our vendor relationships are great, whatever the case may be. You know, everything is rosy, bunnies and rainbows. You know, but here comes Alex. You know, and all he does is poke holes in everything. You know, how do you go about kind of, you know, I, I'm not trying to poke holes in everything. I want to help you keep those bunnies and rainbows, you know, going. Yeah. Because you know, some, sometimes it's it's people just, I don't know if it's fear or, or what, but they don't want to talk about the negative stuff. Well, we don't really like that, right? Like I don't necessarily, outside of work, I don't necessarily like to talk about negative things, but then maybe we don't call it the negative, right? Like maybe we say, we just need to plan accordingly, right? And then use examples, sometimes pulling examples of what can happen and what businesses have actually experienced can help. 
right? It doesn't have to be the doomsday thing. Um, I will tell you that one of my worst nightmares was when one of our remote deposit capture vendors went down where, you know, the mobile deposit piece did not work for two weeks. That's not necessarily a big natural disaster, but did that have an impact? Yes, absolutely. And we overcame that whole thing. And it was um, afterwards, we had some really good lessons. It doesn't always have to be the big thing. It can be half your department is out sick today because that does happen. And if you have small departments, again, if you're in a smaller organization, you have a lot of key people. That key person risk, that can really hurt. That can really hurt you. And it's not just when people are out sick. It's when people retire, you know, that planning ahead and then using examples of this is what one organization experienced. I'm trying to make sure we don't, right? And not, it doesn't always have to be the big stuff. It can just be, like I said, one key person retiring and all of a sudden nobody knows how things work anymore because yeah. nobody took the time to plan, right? Or even document and as is process. That happens a lot, especially in small shops, especially in small shops. It's that way. It's interesting. You just mentioned that, you know, sometimes it's not the big things. It's the little things. Is that a good approach then to to look at the smaller things to instead of trying to move the mountain, just try to move a couple of rocks at a time? I think so. Right. And that's, again, how you create some fans. Right. Like once you have that success story, once you are able to show one department how to maybe respond to something disruptive, how to plan for that key person to go into retirement. Once you have small success stories, those are going to be your allies or your ambassadors, as I call them, right? And then rely on them and ask them, hey, I'm getting some pushback in this area. Would you mind reaching out to that manager or director and maybe sharing what we did and how it helped you, right? That's how you're going to change that culture is to your point, like you move one rock at a time rather than looking at the entire big thing, break it down, you know, and, and really focus in and you'll get a feel for where the departments are or where the people are that understand it a little better. And maybe they came from an organization that had this figured out and they're familiar with it. Your mm -hmm. IT folks, a lot of times, I, I will tell you, starting with business continuity, one of the IT folks called me internal affairs. And I was like, why would you call me internal affairs? I am your way to budget money. <laughs> Let's talk about this, right? It's like you and the budget, I'm in the middle here because I can make your case for budget money. That changed, the whole internal affairs thing changed pretty quickly after that. I was not internal affairs anymore. You have to kind of create that fan base of, I know they're coming and they're poking holes, but here's why, and here's how it helped us be better prepared. Here's how it helped us be more successful. Here's how it supported a strategy. That's kind of how you want to approach that. And that's how you change the culture, a little bit at a time. Now, you've talked about uh, ambassadors a few times and brought that mm -hmm. up. Um, but in the notes you sent me, you also uh, talked about starting a committee. What were you mm -hmm. referring to that? Is, is that the ambassadors or is that a different group or, or that can, how does that work? That can be your ambassadors. So committees to me, I know for a lot of people, it's one more meeting, right? 
But one of the big issues from the risk side as well as from the resilience side is the silos in organizations. Like one department doesn't know what the other department's doing. Committees are a way to bring people together. So we had a risk management committee that was operational risk. Those were the operational heads. They got together once a month. We talked about what's going on in the organization, what's going on outside of the organization, right? What's impacting us um, regulatory-wise, what's happening in the communities that could impact us. And then breaking down those silos and understanding that I can't make a good decision if I don't know how the organization as a whole operates. We see this all the time, right? We see it when in projects when the stakeholders aren't all at the table. And then at the end of the project, we wonder why this was not successful. Well, because you didn't bring the right people to the table. So committees are a way to do that. The business continuity planning team was a good way to do that, where it was like, let's talk about it. And we even prepared for, um, like, if we had a big uh, update at the end of the year to the core system, for example, we got together ahead of time, the entire team, not just IT, because in the past, it was just IT. We brought everybody together. We said, we will help you test. We will make this a more coordinated effort. Everybody will understand what the release is, how it impacts us what may not work the next day. And so bringing everybody together and understanding that when IT does this, I actually have some input, right? Like I get to ask questions. I don't just get an email that says, big update. If something doesn't work, just call the helpline. And you're like, great. I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope that everything works. But proactively bringing everybody together and saying, let's talk this through and ask your questions now. Right. And a lot of times there were things out there that IT didn't consider. So it was a collaborative effort. It was done in like a committee or team type setting. And it brought everybody to the table and it gave everybody input. And that's how you that's how you create that buy in. And that, that's how you get your ambassadors or your, your allies. Right. Because it came from the business continuity side. It said, let's work together and plan it. You, you mentioned a, a really good keyword there, a, a couple actually, project management and stakeholder. Mm -hmm. I think though those two are, are really key. Project management skills definitely help us mm -hmm. at managing stakeholders. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also being okay with not necessarily hearing the answer that you want to hear. So you have to be okay when you present something and you have it kind of figured out in your mind. If someone says, that's just not going to work for me, you have to be able to adjust, right? A lot of times I, I used to be the type, I would just write my procedure or write whatever I need and then roll it out. I'm trying to be more agile about that and really get stakeholder input as I build it out so that in the end I have a better process. Um, but again, it takes time. You learn. And that's the other thing. You're not going to be perfect from the get-go. You're going to do things that are going to completely backfire. And you're like, I'm just going to crawl under a rock for a day because that was not good, right? It's going to happen. Just learn from it and then move on. But, you know, that's, again, like bringing that value and making sure people know the value that you're bringing. That's how you change that culture. And I like the point you made about, like, move one rock at a time, not like don't just focus on the entire mountain. We have two minutes left. Do you want to take a minute for a final thought? I feel like Jerry yeah. Springer, a final yeah. thought. Yeah. 
I guess my message is always, um, if you're not the resilience professional, or if you're not the risk professional, and you're listening to this, because you want to learn more, like be supportive, right? Like understanding that this discipline brings a lot of value to the table. And for the resilience professionals, you just have to keep at it. I mean, I know, I, I sound like very optimistic, cheerleader kind of approach to it, but that's what it takes. And you're sometimes just, you're going to get up in the morning and be like, here I go again. I'm going to get all these negative comments and you have to get over it. And you have to just continue to push that message, right? Eventually it will change. Yeah. If it doesn't, then you have to make some personal decisions, but I mean, that shouldn't happen too often. I would hope. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. You were the key to change that culture. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, Daniela, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time and uh, talking about you know, how to deal with culture because so many of us are just teams of one. You know, so uh, you know everything comes at us from every direction, and sometimes it's hard to uh, deal with that. But you gave some great insights and direction. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Alex. My pleasure. Thanks again, and everyone watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.